Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy.
right, beautiful people, I want to thank you for joining me here this morning on Prison Focus Radio here at KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at kpoo.com if you are listening by live stream. So I'm your host, Nube Brown, and we are going to get into uh, the third uh, segment, third part of listening to Joka Hashima Jensai and the importance of a social a cooperation as we move through our, uh, well, we continue um, our quest for for true liberation. And um, and also we are getting ready for the, the big webinar that's going to be taking place in the summer uh, with Prison Lives Matter and uh, Liberate Our Elders. Um, but I need to tell you, so... I know I've been telling you to save the date of July 28th, 29th, and 30th. I need you to scratch that. So sorry, but we have discovered uh, just recently that there is a very, very important um, event, um, commemoration, recognition, honoring that is going to be taking place that very weekend in New York uh, for and about uh, Queen Mother Moore. So we are going to move the event to the first weekend in August, which is the 4th, 5th, and 6th of August. So please uh, adjust your calendars and save that weekend for this incredible webinar that is going to be taking place where we are going to be highlighting the intersectional issues that are taking place with Black, Brown, and Indigenous peoples, um, our quest for Again, our, our liberation, uh, the building of the People's Senate, highlighting the uh, five charges of genocide that the uh, international jurists have just um, found America with 3Ks Inc. guilty of, where we'll be talking about um, the ending of legal slavery, the work that we are doing around that, and just highlighting all the incredible work that is being done on the ground and coming together um, for an international national and international focus and uh, collaboration is only by building in this way are we going to be able to uh, decolonize, resist the oppressor, and, um, and truly get ourselves free. So again, the event is going to be taking place August 4th, 5th, and 6th. This is also quite exciting because we will be um, in the month of Black August, which is a special, um, especially important, uh, well, of course, for all New Africans all over the country, but for us here in California, especially because this is where it was originated. So um, people that, uh, f- for you folks that don't know about Black August, it's going to be a very exciting time because you'll be able to participate with us this month-long commemoration and honoring of our fallen comrades and more. So uh, again, August 4th, 5th, and 6th, adjust your calendars. All right. So uh, stay with me uh, for the rest of the hour. We're going to get into the third segment with and third and final segment of this three-part series that it has become with Joka Hashima Jinsai. We will always be hearing from from him and other voices. Um, And there's just some surprises to come. So when we come back, Hashima will be speaking on the necessity of 
self-defense, but also really highlighting and getting us to understand that we have a right to defend ourselves. We have a right to defend ourselves against the oppressor. This comes in many forms. Nonetheless, uh, here is, again, Joka Hashima Jinsai. If you have a basic understanding of self-defense, both personally and collectively, you can ensure that when, the, and I say when, the inevitable occurs, you'll be able to respond to it rationally. Self-defense is a rational response to racist attack. Um, Sister Nubay, you know this because at the time you were uh, still with the baby newspaper. The piece I wrote after they killed uh, Kendrick McKay and Trayvon Martin. Some whacked out Marine killed nine children in Afghanistan. It was on self-defense against racist murder. Self-defense is a fundamental human right. One that we should have mastered and the will to exercise at a level commensurate with any threat to our communities and the institutions that we build. Now, some of y'all listening to my voice right now will say, well, see, some of us are scared. This is the purpose of training. The purpose of training is to both imbue you with the necessary confidence and your capacity to defend yourself and your family, to defend your community and protect what you've built, equal to any threat to your person, your family, your community, and the institutions that you build. That's why Secure, communica- secure communities mandate was created. We live in a society that has routinely attacked and murdered us for no other reason than we exist. That we try to build institutions where we can have a better life. That's wrong. It's evil. It's abhorrent. And this ain't 1865 no more, Jack. We've evolved under conditions of oppression to become the people that we are for a reason. Now, you have to understand the times that we're living in right now. We're living in a time when a state government has criminalized our very history, very historical experience. Well, on a national level, they're trying to reduce our historical experience in this country to a theoretical construct, some theory, something that, you know, some idealistic thing that's been made up as opposed to exactly what happened to us. And being criminalized. And then whatever that information is, is being criminalized. Exactly. Exactly, sister. <laughs> Take it to a theory. No, well, and then even the theory is, even if there's a mention of it, being criminalized, being banned. Next, what comes next when somebody takes it out, criminalizing People, any other people's history, you tell them out to a declaration of war. You going to criminalize my history, my existence, you bunch of idiots. Any other people have been got off. But understand something. If you do not understand anything else 
understand the times that you're living in right now. You're living in a time where dudes is comfortable doing that. And the very structures that are responsible for law, what they call law. Law ain't got nothing to do with justice. I need to understand that. But law. They cool with that. And letting this cat do that. Letting that state do that, and they probably gonna let some other states do that. When people can legislate away your social reality, they can legislate away you. Man, you better get ready to defend yourself. Because they coming. You know what come next. Right. It would be irrational. It would be foolish to believe any other way. On a daily basis, you got cats actively on social media talking about lynch black folks. You got police carrying on text message conversations about how they whoop this ninja or this ninja, that ninja, that. Mm-hmm. How we going to get us another one? And I wish for the old days. But this is the thing, sis. <laughs> and that's the old days. It's not even right. old days. Know, old right. days never went nowhere. They never went anywhere. The nature of society is such that that is an intrinsic, white supremacy is an intrinsic character structure of the United States of America. Right. It's just a new iteration. This is a racist, fascist fuck. can't say that in one breath. Next breath, we function as though, hey, man, I'm going to call the police. They're going to rescue me. Right. And that is right. I, I know. That's that's that is why we need to that's why we need to be coming together. I hope that's what we're doing when we come together for this webinar, you know, which is what kind of where we started because we need to this is what I was meaning in the beginning of like we have to make it we have to reconnect nationally and internationally. And I began this conversation. I began this because we have to know this stuff. We have to keep exactly. drilling it in. We have to keep drilling it in because we are trying to um, we're trying to decolonize our mind. I don't, you know, we're try, we we have to. Do, what about the individual work that we first have to do? Because yes, that traumatized mama who you know can't get her needs met on a daily basis will still call the police. If her nope. if her child is having a not to to get them in trouble, but that that's the only system that they know, right? And so mm-hmm. we have to be not only deconditioning our own minds, but we have to be showing each other that there is actually work out there being done, so that we can rely on another source, which is us. The greatest the, resource that we have is us, the people. Right. You so, are right. I know you've one, been saying that. I'm just saying. One, thing, one of my brothers said was, if they can't call us, they call the police. Right. Is that simple? It is that simple. She ain't gonna let her baby we, die. Right. She ain't gonna let her child die. They ain't gonna. But if they can't depend on us, they gonna go to the end. That's why we have to be the each other. Right. That's the contradiction. Right. This is why. As I began this discussion, when we first began this discussion on Prison Lives Matter webinar, 
is we must look at the origin and ideology of the creation of the prison industrial slave complex if you want to talk about destroying that system. Right. I began the discussion by telling everyone, listen, no one's coming to save us. <laughs> no one is coming to save you. There ain't nobody outside of you and your community, your collective work responsibility. Your unity is going to save you. Nothing else. Get that out your head. You got to start fighting that thought process. It's going to rear its head again and again and again and again because you're going to be looking at what these folks are telling you they're supposed to be doing. But when the social reality that you just open your front door and look out your window that they're not doing, ain't job. It's called cognitive dissonance. Right. But it's actually, and that's the thing that we need. That's why we want to use the word genocide. Look, this is designed it will destroy you. It is seeking to, to if if at the least, maim you and yes. keep you keep you disgustingly dependent, on, like a drug. That's why it's, the definition of genocide is what it is. Yes, exactly. That 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 term uh, uh, tends to cover the totality of our social reality. Right and. There is no other rational response than attempted genocide and self-defense. There's no more rational form of self-defense or more effective form of self-defense that we can exercise under these social conditions in our unit. It's got to start with that. It has to. It has to. We have been conditioned to believe that we have no right to defend ourselves, that actually we should be okay with dying. Yeah. We should be okay. That, that that is not true, but that is that to me. That's where it's come. It is. We don't think about it anymore. That we don't have that. That we well, we're being conditioned to believe, and I think we are conditioned to believe that not only do we not have a right to defend ourselves, but we should be. Um, we should just be figuring out out ways to not be dying, as opposed to defending ourselves about from the killer. And, and that's just, and that's, that's not a way to live. It's not a way to live. And we can see it, like you said, just look at the social conditions. That's what it's saying. This is what it looks like when we're, when we're allowing that. Yeah, and we not, haven't even talked about what this system is doing to the planet. That part. I mean, that, it, and we, it, it, which of course is really, the foundation of it all because it doesn't matter how much we defend ourselves and we don't have a planet to live on we just don't exist exactly that's it <laughs> so it's another reason are, why we have to transform our way of life absolutely we have to transform our because it's much more loving that's the thing yeah. it's it's about life that part it is about life unity is is to me is love in action i suggest what it is why I use the term functional unity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It ain't just a matter of coming together. We have to be able to come together and work together to build something of substance. That's functional. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we first, uh, and first, along while we are doing that, it has to come from that place of loving ourselves and each other. Exactly. That you want to do that work. Because that's 
the only way that that's going to happen because if, if we if we love it, so then we'll want to defend it. We'll want to be for life. One of the things that uh we always try to impart to people. Hatred of your enemy is an unsustainable basis for revolution. The only sustainable basis for revolution is love for the for your people. Right. Everything we do, everything we think, everything we develop, everything we say originates in our uncompromising love for the people. Right. It always has and it always will. Um, well, that's... No, at the end of the day, what we're talking about right now is putting the end of systems that actually empower themselves through hatred and destruction of the people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They want you to hate yourself. They want you to hate one another. They want that. They thrive on that. That's how the system continues to perpetuate itself. What we're talking about is this opposite. If we're going to truly, seriously talk about prison lives matter, if we're going to truly, truly talk about ending of the prison industrial complex, as we know it, you're talking about creating a new society. You're talking about developing a new way of life. Nothing short of that is going to equate what you're speaking of. It's that simple. Yep. Absolutely. Well, and that continued hate of ourselves obviously just keeps, uh, puts the blame on us. And it also diverts of much needed energy. Say it again. You're right. I mean, we we just can't afford it. We just can't afford it anymore. No, we can't. And, and that's no. what I'm hoping that this coming together will really, really, you know, just to help to 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 highlight and to to emerge and bring forward. If at the end of the day we successfully create new institutions that's going to change the conditions in people's lives, we'll be able to change their attitudes, right? And in turn, change their social reality because we're going to change what they do, how they think how they respond to one another in the productive system, that's going to change. Mm -hmm. And they must change. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And then, right. And we'll want to take off those rose-colored glasses. Boy, they're not working. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, things are becoming so degraded, I don't even think the rose-colored glasses are working. Yeah, (laughs) you know, like, then it's not even rose-colored anymore. It should be dripping with red blood. <laughs> oh my God! But yes, that that is the the real revolution, and I think um, you know, revolution and love. So, Nishima, thank you again. Um, I I just I, I really appreciate that here again is diverting, keeping the energy with the people, and uh, making a, a you know the argument for the unity. And notice and and showing how um, that's where the power is. It's the, the the our greatest resource are each other, are the people. 
And so anything that's against that is what we are resisting and what we are diverting our energies for. You're going to hear this again and again and again because we are dismantling. We, Like you said, we're with you all the way. We must dismantle these systems that are genociding us. And and we are presenting the solutions that are going to come from those who know, those who are knowing, and those that are yet to know. So keep that date open because it's an opportunity for us to come together in unity and show that power and how, how beautiful it is and how revolutionary it is and what's necessary. That's right. So thank you again for again sharing and keeping us on track. All power to the people who don't fear freedom. All power to the people who don't fear freedom. <laughs> I love you, brother. Love you more, sis. Peace right. and power. Talk, peace and power. Talk soon. Okay. Um, I would like to read an excerpt um, for you from the book Meditations on Frantz Fanon's Wretched of the Earth. Uh, it's a new African revolutionary writings by James Yucky Sales. This is an incredible book that I am reading before I've actually read Wretched of the Earth. Now, this is one of the books that is kind of quote required reading for those of us who are on our revolutionary, new African revolutionary journey, of which you know I am at the, I am a serious, serious babe in the woods. So I could be getting this wrong entirely, but I don't want people to misconstrue this idea of, you know, of what it means to um, be, uh, you know, have the right to defend ourselves, right? Because it always just goes into this place of violence. Well, I don't want to be violent. And it also scares people, you know, that's real, um, that you might actually have to use uh, violence to not have violence done against you. Um, But there's just so much more to it. It's so much more nuanced and layered um, of what it means to defend ourselves. Uh, we may have to do it physically, but it means so much more. So um, in this book, uh, The Meditations on Franz Fanon's Wretched of the Earth, I'm actually in the second part, which is called, so this is part two, concerning, quote, violence and the development of new people. I really encourage you all to read this book if you haven't. Um, you may have already read Wretched of the Earth. You can read them both together. Um, I sometimes do things backwards, but nonetheless, I'm reading Wretched of the, the Meditations on Wretched of the Earth first. Um, also, it's just my kind of writing. So I'm going to be reading from one page 185 to 187. Meditate. What does it mean to, quote, educate violence so that the people may thus understand social truths How does the, quote, education of violence give the key to the people? Most importantly, what is the key? Maybe we're not far enough into into the book to begin answering these questions, or maybe we can go back to the preface in the search. Quote, this is from uh, Franz Fanon. In this violence which springs from the people, the military, political, and social necessities cannot be separated. That's on page 22 of Wretched of the Earth. Could it be that to, quote, educate violence, we must increase our, oh, sorry, cannot be separated, unquote. And that's from page 22. And this is now uh, Yaki Sales. Could it be that to, quote, educate violence, we must increase our political and social awareness? Quote, 
violence is in quotes, violence is educated. The people are educated via the development of theory and the conduct of practice in all areas of social life. Quote, violence, unquote, is, quote, educated, unquote, as the people develop their political consciousness and as they assume what Le Duan calls, quote, collective mastery, unquote, of the society. The key can't be a key to violence, narrowly speaking, mere armed forces, because an, quote, educated violence is that which provides the key. Only when we understand violence, like colonial violence and revolutionary violence in a broad way, can we begin to understand the key as the awareness derived by the people of their role as the makers of history. Quote, history, unquote, here being all of the activity of the people in pursuit of their aims as a sovereign entity. Making history requires the making of informed choices and the making of decisions to act in one way and not another. Choices must be made based on a particular interpretation of reality. Read Wretched carefully and you'll see that Fanon talks much less about the use of arms than he does about the need for the people to develop their consciousness and to learn to lead themselves. Now, what I'm going to say to that is why we are all encouraging you to get to these webinars, get to this webinar uh, plenary. It's going to be taking place now, August 4th through the 6th. Uh, because we are going to be coming together to increase our consciousness and increase our knowledge and uh, about how we uh, continue to learn how to lead ourselves. Remember, we are our own liberators. Another book you should read by Jaleel Muntakim. But we must decolonize our thinking. And this comes from developing our consciousness and learning to lead themselves. Okay, uh, back to Yaki. Check it out. Here we are reading a chapter on, quote, violence, which most of us think of only in terms of arms or physical force. But how much does Fanon really actually talk of arms or physical force? You might expect every page to contain, contain some mention of guns, knives, armed encampments, guerrillas training in the forest, nightly raids on the farms of settlers, attacks on local police stations or military outposts. But how much of this is actually there in this chapter on violence? Not much, you say. Well, why do you think that is? Fanon talks. Uh, Fanon doesn't talk much about guns or armed forces of violence because it's the other forms, rather it's the whole of colonial violence that most concerns him. He and, uh, and Fanon says, in the colonial context, the settler only ends his work of breaking in the native when the latter admits loudly and intelligibly the supremacy of the white man's values. In the period of decolonization, the colonized masses mock at these very values, insult them and vomit them up. Um, and that's unquote. And then um, Yaki emphasizes that. Okay. Many of us used to think that values weren't important. And we thought this in part because some among us used to think and still, and some still think that values were the whole, and they're not. They're an important part of the whole. We must give attention to all parts of the whole. Colonial violence must mean must be negated by revolutionary violence, like when the colonized mock Western and European and Euro-American values insult them and vomit them up during the period of decolonization, a period, in fact, comparable to our 1960s and early 70s, when we had, for example, a black arts movement and debated the need for and the value of a black aesthetic 
And the poets rapped about new values as they mocked those of, quote, the man. The singers sang about new values as they insulted those of, quote, the system. The writers wrote novels and essays about new values as they vomited up those of, quote, white America. But today, we still send our children to the schools of the U.S., where they pledge allegiance to the U.S. and its flag, and in a thousand ways, every day, we and our children admit loudly and intelligibly the supremacy of Euro-American capitalist values and demonstrate the ineffective demonstrate the effectiveness of colonial violence and the absence of a counter-violence, a revolutionary violence, which negates the influence of foreign values, like capitalist values, in our homes and in our minds. All right, if you are just joining us, you are tuned into Prison Focus Radio here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. And we were just listening to Joka Hashima Jinsai uh, speak on the right for uh, self defense, being able to defend all that we have built, uh, protecting our children, protecting our families, protecting our communities. Um, um, in light of being criminalized for that very protection. All right, we are going to take a break, a musical break, and we are going to hear a preview of new music that has come forth through Veronza Bowers Jr. and Rev Love. And if you don't know who Veronza Bowers are, after the musical break, I am going to introduce you to him. And if you do know who he is, then you will also know why we are going to be uh, highlighting Veronza Bowers, just a beautiful, beautiful human and um, who is a political prisoner that is going, has been incarcerated, has been legally enslaved for 46, going on 47 years. Um Again, it's just an egregious uh, treatment, genocidal treatment. Um, and yet, uh, Veranza uh, flies above this s- sickening human condition that is called the prison industrial slave complex here in this country. So we are going to hear uh, a preview of, uh, from the, the album... I don't know, do we call it albums these days? Anyway, um, Finding Peace in the Chaos. And uh, here we go. And like I said, we will come back and I will be reading some, uh, giving you some information about Veronza Bowers. This piece is called Out of the Nothingness. And a realization that nothing could only experience itself through a relationship with something other than itself. And through this longing, we were born. Through this desire, everything that is in existence came to be. Billions of light years away, somewhere beyond space and time, the human mind is only beginning to conceive reality as we know it, the nothing. 
and meditative because that is what it is supposed to be Um, and this coming from Veronza Bowers who has been uh, legally enslaved for 49 years even though back in 2005 he was supposed to be granted parole so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about um, or share with you a little bit about Veronza Bowers but part of the reason also that I I brought this um, um, preview of Veronza's latest music is because uh, it was shared by people on the ground, people who are supporting um, and advocating for in um, in unity and love with Veronza Bowers Jr. for many decades now. Um, the work that they are doing um, to help bring him home and Uh, let us know that he has a parole hearing this May 16th, 2023. And um, there's also an event that's going to be taking place in, uh, I believe it's in Brooklyn, New York. Hold on once. Yes, so in Brooklyn, New York at 247 Water Street uh, this Friday, May 12th from 7 to 9 p.m. So if there's anybody here uh, that is listening from New York or anywhere close by that would like to go to this uh, listening party or album release party, excuse me, um, at... uh, Legacy Dumbo, again, 247 Water Street in Brooklyn, New York. So um, they are promoting this, and uh, thankfully, again, this is what it means to build that power, to build that unity, um, We are and we are doing this nationally. So uh, again, if you, uh, if any of you are on the East Coast and want to go to this uh, album release party, uh, you can do that from 7 to 9 p.m. on um, Friday, May 12th. So that's how I found out about it. And um, so just beautiful, beautiful music. And um, here's what a post from Facebook uh, from uh, has to say from Haki Kualisha Kaur. Uh, free Veronza Bowers Jr. Political Prisoner Veronza Bowers Jr. Parole hearing is May 16th, 2023. He has been falsely imprisoned for 49 years. A member of the Black Panther Party support him and stream or download his brand new album on Apple Music and streaming platforms today. So, uh, yes, go to um, I use Spotify um, um, and I also do have Apple Music, actually. So uh, follow his official Instagram at Free Veronza Bowers, and then join us to celebrate the release of Veronza Bowers' first album to come together in a group sound meditation and to hear a special message from Veronza. Um, so he is going to this to, to the parole board 
May 16th, and we will use our group meditation to send him our love and support and to visualize him coming home. Don't miss this powerful community event to support our beloved brother who has been unjustly incarcerated for 49 years. And so what I would also suggest for the rest of us um, that aren't able to be on the East Coast in Brooklyn at this time you might want to consider doing that either, you know, come together with community members close to you and and be in solidarity and in unity and do it um, simultaneously while it is taking place in Brooklyn, New York as well. So I also want to invite you to check out uh, the website, veronza.org. Uh, and you can, you can definitely get a lot of information there about him. Um, so I'm going to actually just read this this first uh, couple of paragraphs from his website. Uh, well, actually, I'm going to read this this second part. In the more than four decades of his confinement, and we are going, and if if he is not paroled um, on May 16th, or doesn't have a parole date uh, by uh, given to him on May 16th, he's going to be going on 50 years. So in the more than four decades of his confinement, Veranza has made a, become a, quote, model prisoner. He is an author, musician, a student of Asian healing arts, and has a strong interest in Buddhist meditation, as well as hands-on healing techniques, which he practiced at the various facilities in which he has been incarcerated. Veranza is also an honorary elder of the Lompoc tribe, tribe of Five Feathers, a Native American spiritual and cultural group. He is a member and founder of the All Faith Meditation Group, a non-denominational spiritual organization devoted to healing meditation using the traditional Japanese shakuhachi flute, which he has been blowing for over 30 years. Veranza is also a member of the International Shakuhachi Society. So that beautiful flute that you heard um, in that music is is the shakuhachi flute, which Veranza, of course, is playing. So um, I've spoken to Veranza again, like I said, just a beautiful, beautiful human. And um, I think I, I, I want you to note that about him because he is um, unfortunately like so many of the uh, veteran Black Panther Party members, a political prisoner, uh, most of them unjustly continually being um, legally enslaved, captured, caged, uh, genocided away from their families and their communities, becoming elders, 50 years, almost 50 years of incarceration. We have heard on this radio show uh, countless people uh, that have been, uh, that were part of the um, FBI's COINTELPRO, the, the, the America with Three Ks, Inc., at war with the freedom, um, the liberation movements of, of all nations in this country. Um, so the Black Liberation Movement, the um, American Indian um, Liberation Movement, um, the, just countless others, right, uh, repressed and, um, and targeted by uh, state repression, by the state uh, through violence, death, and um, imprisonment uh, simply for 
uh, fighting for their communities, for the freedom of their communities, and for the self-determination of their communities, Ferranza Bowers being one of them. So we want him home, and there is an opportunity now for you to help with that. And he really, and that's the beautiful thing about um, this particular event, because again, this is about sending healing vibes in unity um, and liberation vibes, um, healing vibes, love vibes, uh, freedom vibes, uh, revolutionary love vibes um, to dismantle these systems of oppression and the colonized thinking that keeps us from uh, being free and uh, participating in our own liberation. All right. I actually found some audio of of Veranza Bowers in conversation with Ada Levinson, who was part of the Youth Speaks Out uh, from KZYX here in Mendocino County, California. This audio is uh, from 2002, um, and it's an hour-long conversation that we're going to break up into four parts, and we're going to start each of those four parts with another piece of audio that I found from the Black Organizing Project also back in the early 2000s, but which was recorded in 2020 or presented in 2021 um, uh, for a Black August uh, event around political prisoners. Um, understand that Franza Bowers, so in 2009, he was supposed to come home on parole and he has been in prison ever since. So now we're going on 49 years. So at the time he was in prison already for uh, just over 30 and remember that he was un- is unjustly convicted in the murder of a U.S. park ranger on the ward of two government informants who got their sentences reduced and um, I believe are now out while Veronza Bowers is still in. All right, so we're going to hear first again from the one-minute segment of the Black, uh, from, um, the Black Organizing Project of Veronza Bowers. And we're going to start each segment uh, that way because he speaks very eloquently about his case and why he's still inside. In reality, as a political person, and that's not throughout the world, but we, we, we were representatives of the people. We were accused of over for the government and all kind of foolishness. And that was never the case. We were trying to make a better life for our own people. And, and for that, you know, history also will drop us on this. The war was declared against us, and many of us linger in prison now for decades. I'm, I'm almost in our 30th year, and uh, police brutality has been raging from coast to coast. It still is from coast to coast, and we began to wrestle a lot of those issues. My name is Ida Levinson. For four years, I have been in contact with a man who has spent the last 32 years of his life in prison. His name is Ferranza Bowers, Jr. Before his incarceration, he was a member of the Black Panther Party during the 60s. At 26 years old, he was convicted for the murder of a park ranger. Although the legitimacy of his trial is questionable due to the lack of physical evidence and the reliability of the key witnesses. 
To this day, Veronza claims that he's innocent and that the FBI framed him. He is currently being held in a federal penitentiary. Last June, my family and I visited Veronza. This is the first time that any of us, including my father, who has known him for 15 years, seen Veronza in person. During our visit, I brought up the idea of doing a telephone interview. After months of negotiation and being denied once by the assistant warden of the prison, I was finally granted permission to interview Veronza over the phone. On September 11th of 2002, I conducted the interview. Because of his circumstances, we could only talk in 15-minute segments with 15-minute breaks in between each one. Shortly, you will hear the final product of the interview. This call is from a federal prison. This is a prepaid call. You will not be charged for this call. This call is from... Veronza, first of all, I want to thank you, Ida, and, uh, and Dan, and everyone at the radio station, and all of you listeners. This is such a great opportunity, because I recognize the fact that I don't exist in a vacuum, you know? Mm-hmm. And to be able to speak, and at the same time, I understand it's a tremendous responsibility, you know, because people listen to what people say sometimes, and, you know, we've been... Our voices have been silent for a long, long time. So this is a great opportunity, and I really do appreciate this opportunity. And I'll try to let it flow. And and, and secondly, you, you might hear a lot of noise in the background, but it's not really noise. It's other human beings, just like I'm situated, and they're getting ready to go and eat. And it might sound like uh, feeding time at the Serengeti, 20th. I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about your personal background um, maybe where you grew up and went to school. Okay. I give them some thought about my childhood growing up. You know, one thing about prison, it gives you an opportunity if you take it, an opportunity to do a lot of reflecting upon your past. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a little town in Oklahoma named McAllister. And that's where they have a big penitentiary, McAllister, big penitentiary. I grew up, I grew up in a very, very small, tight-knit community. You know, at a time when things were a lot different. And reflecting on that, you know, I grew up primarily with the influence of women. Because my father was away in the Army. My father, Veranza, he was away in the, in the U.S. Army. Did 25 years in the Army. But my mother, Dorothy, like, let me give you a little. And I'm glad you asked this question because in order to understand anything, you know, you got to look at it in this totality is, is connections, historical connections, if you will. And and growing up in this little town, surrounded by women as I, as I was, because my grandmother had six children. Five of them were women and one son. We called him Uncle Sonny. And so the little neighborhood we, that I grew up in, all black neighborhood, you know, we, we didn't have any experience with with racism directly or, or even with, uh, you know, all the conflicts that result from that. Looking back on it, you know, you think about poverty and being poor and all of those things. But back then, it was just a, always a very, very good feeling because my great-grandmother, like she was my first real teacher of, of our story, you know, called history. Because she, she, like when she was seven years old, my understanding was that that's when slavery was outlawed or abolished. So she taught me a lot of things about all of that past. It was very rich in, in this tradition and the story, you know. And my great-grandmother, Granny, was like my real teacher, you know. And I remember my grandmother. Everybody called her Bucker. 
Hopkins plan, and her word was law. And, you know, growing up as a little boy like that, I learned to really listen and appreciate the old people and what they had to say because they always were just talking about life, you know. That was a great joy for me to be able to be sit around and listen to all those kind of things. And Mama was always Mama, you know, with my father being away all the time. She uh, gave me so much strength and, and understanding of the world around me. <clears throat> so, you know, growing up in McAllister, Oklahoma, and I was born in 1946. You know what, Ada? Mm -hmm. Listen to this. You hear him called child? Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll get quiet in a minute, so I won't have to speak so loud. Okay. So fast, maybe. All right. I, I, I really came to the realization that when you start talking about the past, there's so many, so, there's so much things that happen, so many memorable experiences that you can wander on and on and on and on. I knew that you had talked a little bit about what it was like to be, um, what it was like to be segregated and to just discriminated yeah, you know, against. Hey, 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 you know, we, we never, well, I never understood what segregation meant or what racism meant, and I never heard the word nigger, you know, because, like I say, I grew up in a, a black community where there was a lot of love and, 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 and concern about each other, you know. And so I went to school in a little, little small school named Low Overture High, but it was for, like, from the first to the twelfth grade. And we had to catch a bus. We had to cross a little canal to hop on the bus and go way, way across town. And there was a little school right up the street, about two and a half blocks on the dirt street, dirt road. And it was a very nice red brick school. And it was a, I come to find out later, it was a, a grade school in junior high. But that's where white people went to school, you know. And, and I used to walk past it sometimes and look at it and wonder what kind of school, they, what kind of teaching goes on in there that's so, so much different. But anyway, we used to to go to school out to this place called Lowerture High. And later on in life, I found out Lowerture High was named after Toussaint Lowerture, you know, the, the great liberator down there in Haiti. But they never taught us anything about that. And, you know, in the little town, as small as it was, we thought it was normal. You know, like when we want to go to the movie theater, back then you pay five or ten cents to go to the theater. They had three movie theaters in the whole town. The, the News, The Chief, and the Opla. And the news is, a, is the one where we could go to. And I always wondered why we couldn't go to the other one, but I, I didn't ever question that, you know. And, uh, and and when we did go, we had to sit up in the balcony, and it was only on, like, Saturday or Sunday could we go. And then one time they had this movie called The Ten Commandments. And I remember I remember this like this, I'm looking at it. And they, they closed the theater and let all of the black communities, and it was... Second Ward, no, Third Ward, Fourth Ward, and Fifth Ward. That's, you know, our communities were called wards. And they uh, allowed those wards where we were to go to the, and watch the Ten Commandments. And once, that was for two weeks. And then when, once that was over with, and they figured everybody had seen the Ten Commandments and were going to see it, they closed it down for another two weeks and fumigated the place because we had been there. And so those those experiences of as a little boy, you know, you look at those things. I was looking at them then and wondering, well, what is all this is about? They still had the water, like one water fountain said colored and the other water fountain said white. And I remember on a sunny day, my father picked me up because I'm too small to step on the water thing, pedal, and drink at the same time. So he picked me up, and the water's coming up. I look over at the other water fountain. 
I could read too, by the way, then. And I looked over the other water fountain, and a little white boy's father had him picked up, drinking this water. And I'm looking at the water, and it's like the water sparkling because the sun is shining through the window. And when the father sat me down, I said, Daddy, how come uh, my water says colored, and the other water says white? And they look both the same. And I remember my father looked at me and said, Boy, you'll understand those things later, later on in life. You know, those are the kind of little experiences, the accumulation of which, along with the lessons of my grandmother, that uh, leads a little young mind like I had into questioning a lot of things that you see around you. What point did you become aware that because you were black, you were be being treated differently and um, when you realized that you wanted to make a difference and you wanted that to stop? It, it, you know what, either I, I don't think it was a, a particular point. You know, it was just the accumulation of my experiences. Growing up, particularly in McAllister, Oklahoma, and then later on in Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, just the, I think just the accumulation, you know, starting back from my real education by my great grandmother, and then watching the the women, uh, you know, with the welfare and all of that kind of stuff going on in the little neighborhoods and things, and then uh, when they came up with the desegregation of the schools, I think that probably was in 1954 or so, with that Brown versus Board of Education. Uh, decision for the Supreme Court, and I went to this little school up, up like I said, two and a half blocks up, up the way, and that's when I was called, to my knowledge, <laughs> nigger for the first time. All right, that is the end of part one, and I want to encourage you also to write to Veronza at Veronza Bowers Jr. His slave number is 35316-136. He's at FCI, that's F as in Frank, C as in Charles, I as in Igloo, dash two, P.O. Box 1500, Butner, North Carolina, 27509, and also visit his website at veranza.org. We are going to hear, a, um, again, a preview of his music. We Exists Outside of Time.
weekend. There's the event Friday, May 12th from 7 to 9 p.m. This is happening in Brooklyn, New York. They're going to be doing an album release party, and you can check out that album um, called Finding Peace in the Chaos on all of your streaming platforms. Next is Work Week with Steve Seltzer.